Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast. I am Tony and tonight I'm joined by Adam. Hello. So Adam, how have you been since the last episode? What have you been I've up been to? well. I've been well. Um, I've just had some halloumi fries. I've had some... Uh, well, I bought some Drukhari today, so I've fully embraced that. the dark side. So, yeah, yeah, put that on the group. Um, and now I think I will probably be the uh, the second most uh, hated or annoyed player in uh, in our group because I already collect Harlequins, which just ignore all of the rules. <laughs> and the other rules are all ignored by the Drukhari. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've got all my bases covered. <laughs> Great. Um so, uh, what have you sort of been up to a little bit since last time we were on air? I had a, yeah, I had a quite few games actually, um, which I guess we'll talk about in in terms of the Hades campaign stuff. And um, yeah, we just had uh, some more painting stuff done. So, just to give you guys a rundown of the sort of stuff we're going to be talking about in this episode, uh, we are of course going to update you all on our latest paint station garrison. Um, we will be giving a update on the Hades campaign, as well as the sort of games we've played since the last episode, uh, where our forces are at now, and some of the uh, upcoming uh, events within that. We are also going to talk tonight uh, on our spotlight topic about Cities of Death. Um, so it's a, a very interesting way to play 40k, and uh, you yourself have played uh, a game in this last uh, what month? Uh, yes, yeah, so I played it last uh, last Friday. Yeah, so you'll be able to tell us about your experience using the Cities of Death rules there. Um, yep. Throughout our games played section, we'll also talk about some of our Hades games. Um, and finally, we're going to round off the show with some news and new releases, which really at the moment, the big news is the first bits of information coming in about Apocalypse. Which uh, I yes, spoilers yeah. I'm quite excited about. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, looking forward to talking about that. Yeah, so am I. So we will take a quick break here, and then we will come back and we'll jump in properly into the paint station garrison. And we're back, guys. So Adam, you were just telling us about where you've been up to with your sanguinary guard. So have you more or less yes. got those done now? Um, so, yeah, in, in my current kind of painting garrison, uh, I was able to, for anybody who listened to the first episode, I had a significant amount of sanguinary guard to Ooh. paint up and finish. Um, but, yeah, I've been able to uh, kind of plow on with those guys and Ooh. get them done. So I'm really, really pleased about that because it, it, I love them, but they have been a bit of a pain to, to put together and, and organise and... Um, I think it's it's an inherent GW uh, problem at the moment, but the kits just don't don't give you enough for everybody to have power fists as well as in Carmine's yeah. swords and, and things like that. Um, so it kind of forces you sometimes to go down a certain war gear route. Um, so in order to get past that, I then had to basically cannibalise an enormous <laughs> amount of my old kits for power fists and other things. Um, so it's been a bit of a a hodgepodge um, effort to try and get that all together and then get them painted and then uh, like I said last time some of those are for the left hand rather than the mm -hmm. right so then you've got to try and find something that's going to fit on the right hand so you can get your your power fist on the left so it's been a bit yeah so it was a bit, a bit of a uh, trial long story short um, but they're all done 
um, and used them, uh, used a full squad of 10 in a game, which I'll talk about later, which um, was just brilliant. So it's really nice to see them all done and finished. Um, the white on this time wasn't as bad as it was last time. I think I started to use a bit of a thicker, oh, was that um, on the a thicker wings? layer. On the wings, yeah, because yeah. I used a Vallejo bone white to do that. And that was... Because uh, at the time, I, I used the uh, normal GW method, which is Celestia Grey. Uh, and then I think it's Ulthwan Grey. And then you kind of build up to white. But I was finding that even even when I built up and then you kind of highlight with some white scar, I just think it, it doesn't really pop for me in terms of a, of a, as a solid white. Um, so I ended up, yeah, just looking around and, and chatting to a few people. And they recommended the bone white, which has come out fantastically, but it's a very bright white. Um, so if you, you know, I don't particularly use it on um, anything besides like wings or um, I used a large amount of it actually on my Harlequins. So it really pops out with those guys, which is cool because, you know, they're all guys who have flamboyant colours. Uh, so I decided not to try and do some crazy lightning pattern on the Carmine Swords. I made that decision early um, and I'd probably say myself about three years of therapy so um i've decided that's the, the best option and just gone for a, like a silver sword basically um but that cut down the time probably by about two hours in terms of actual painting time which is really good and um yeah i just um got them all done uh yeah back end of last week i think and then i've got the bikes done as well which were also on the in the garrison um, so they're all finished off nicely and, and, and done in a nice kind of snow base paint. So all of my Blood Angels have got a snow base because uh, I think it kind of pops quite well with the um, the red. It, it, it really does make the red armour stand out a lot on them, doesn't mm. it? I think it also adds a lot um, more contrast to the Death Company as well, the black on the white. Oh, yeah, massively. Yeah, that's one of the things I noticed when I put them on because at, at the time, obviously, before you do your base, and I, I don't know how people do it, but for myself, I do the base in last, and that's kind of always the, a nice little finishing touch. Um, so at the time, I was like, oh, I don't really know if they're kind of popping as much as I wanted to do, and, you know, that, that black is... I mean, I'm not... I'm, in general, black is a very hard colour, I think, to, to try and do properly. Um, but, yeah, you know, with highlights and all that kind of stuff. So Quite often. Uh, yeah, when I put this in a one... Yeah. Sorry, Quite often, black armored models don't come together until the basing's actually done. It's surprising how much like mm. an important part of the visual finish the base is for them, because yeah. yeah, that's what really lets you see how well the black has come out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and that's basically what happened uh, when I put started putting on the snow for them. So, yeah, really, really pleased with that. Um, all fifteen psychopaths of the uh, the Death Company are all good <laughs> to go. And um, yeah, so the snow uh, snow effect worked really well for the bikes as well, actually, because um, part of it I kind of meshed it a little bit into the tires, and so it kind of has a bit more of a rugged effect, which is really good. Uh, and then the the things that are left there now is I um, ended up seeing a battle report where somebody used the Phobos captain or the captain of Phobos armor from the Shadow Spear box, and um, he has some really cool and interesting. Um, warlord traits but the one that's really stuck out for me because his uh, natural aura is, is obviously the normal captain's one where you get to reroll ones and then um, his also one is you deny a deep strike up to 12 inches for anything, uh, anything around him so I was like that's actually really useful if you're facing something that's going to have loads of deep strike stuff um, 
so I just decided to give him a go. But he's got a cool Warlord ability, which is, if you're making the Warlord, um, which is uh, called Take Priority, uh, Take Aim or Priority Target. That's it, Priority Target. And so you uh, you basically can add a plus one to the hit roll for a unit within three inches that is visible to the captain. So on something like a Hellblaster squad, all of a sudden you're hitting on twos, re-rolling ones because of the captain nearby. That's really good um, for supercharging and all that kind of stuff. It, it makes it a lot safer. Surprisingly, surprisingly not so. bad on um, like a big squad of infiltrators either because that would yeah. cause their... Um, does that cause their like marksman hit to go off on a 5+. plus? I would imagine so, yeah. yeah. I can't imagine why it wouldn't. So, yeah, all of a sudden you're auto-wounding on fives and sixes. That'd be really good. Um, so, yeah, painting-wise, I'm, I'm kind of halfway through painting him. Um, and I've decided to go for a bit of a purple cape. I was going to do two colours. So it was going to be a Cantor blue on the back and uh, kind of the Xerxes purple on the front. Uh, but having the two kind of base colours there next to each other, it kind of looks a bit crap. So I'm just going to do the purple because um, I know it's a solid colour that will kind of uh, kind of uh, complement the red quite well. Um, so that's the current thing. Um, he's kind of a bit lonely, but he's soon going to have uh, quite a bit of mech support because I am now in the process of um, building my Relic Contemptor uh, for the Blood Angels. So I'm really, really looking forward to getting that bad boy um, <laughs> painted up. I really, really enjoyed this because... Um, you know any, anybody who's used re, uh, resin models in the past knows that it's not always the best um the best stuff or fail cast as it potentially is called so um but the new they've i think they've upgraded the, the resin because the fine detail on these guys is really really good and when i did the leviathan that um, that came out really really well so i'm really mm. looking forward to um, i've never really had any problem with it gonna... like i've got some um forge world plague toads that i use as my beasts of Durgle in my demon army and um, right. they're, they're, they're nice quality I'm going to have any problem with those oh right yeah cool <laughs> it just must be me then um, but yeah so that's that's kind of what's going to be in at the moment and then um, I uh, I've got some harlequins that are also yes just, I just saw about to in our chat you were uh, painting up a tester model were you not for those yeah so um it was uh, basically I, I wanted to do another mask so that I can can quite easily define when I'm doing detachments, kind of different ones. So uh, usually one of the the masks that most people go for is um, soaring spike because it basically allows you to ignore the penalty for moving with assault weapons if you advance, and uh, and allows your um, guys inside to essentially do gangster drive by yeah. in inside your uh, star weavers. So. It's pretty damn cool, um, and again, it treats them as assault weapons. So they all become assault ones. So, basically, if you want to rock up, you know, three inches away from a from a knight or a, or what anything really, um, you basically get to fire all of the fusion pistols, which most of the characters you should probably outfit them with. Um, and then, yeah, basically, just waste something. So um, it's really good uh, for that. But I want to kind of try different things within the book and start expanding. Um, just the different stuff because there's a lot of different masks out there that are really really great and there's some different stuff that they all do and something it kind of brings a different tactic to the table uh but i usually just go soaring spike because it's it's quite easy to understand and know and um, and really master um so i'm going to try and start doing a different mask so then i can start weaving those things in so and, what, uh, um, and so yeah the mask so what like uh paint scheme have you gone with at the moment have you decided yes yeah, 
Well, this is the thing. So I wanted to do the contrast paints uh, because I just wanted to kind of knock them out of the park and get them done really easily so I could move on. So it's like, right, I've got two or three squads of five that are all, you know, same colour. So it was going to be um, black and orange and uh, kind of a white with potentially a blue in there on some of the ribbons. But having done the test, I don't know about anybody who's listening, but I've, I've, I'm a bit underwhelmed with the contrast paints. The way that they've been done, I d and I don't know if it's simply, you know, I'm doing it wrong, so I, I do use a grey seer instead of a wraith bone, um, but potentially it could have been that actually I'm not doing uh, it correctly or something, because the, the colours just haven't come out very well for me, um, and it's not as solid as I would like it to be, um, and the colours kind of look a little bit faded, so it could just be because I'm using grey seer as opposed to wraith bone, which I've heard has uh, a lot more warmer tones to it. Um, but, yeah, it could also be that yeah, basically it's not coming through strong enough because the paints are obviously kind of a, a relatively thin to begin with anyway um, and to, so they can do the whole all-in-one thing that they've, well, they've gone with. Is it maybe worth trying a second coat? Like, I know it's kind of against the whole selling point, <laughs> but yeah. even if it's a quick apply first coat, then maybe just doing a second pass is also not too much more time consuming and might bring out this, like, strength of the colour a bit better. Yeah, no, so I, I did that with the black, because um, again, one of the great things with the contrast paint that when it came out, I said, oh, we're really going to hope they're going to do a black, so they did the black Templar contrast. Um, because obviously one of the things that with black is quite hard to highlight and get that right, so if you can get it all in one paint, that's awesome. Um, but when that applied, it came out quite weak and a little bit grey, but then so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll just apply a second coat and see what happens. So I applied a second coat and it did come out more solid, but the problem was is, is once I applied the second coat, it basically uh, overrode all of the um, all of the highlighted parts. So essentially, right. when when I put it on, it basically just turned it pure black again. So I was like, oh, that's kind of not really worked. So um, what I've decided to do, and when I actually put the the black and the white uh, and the and the orange on, I was like, actually, I don't really like this this colour scheme anymore because you obviously you know you have a colour scheme in your head and you try it out and obviously it either works or it doesn't um, and it ended up just not really working for me so I decided to go for a um, bit of a darker one so it's going to be kind of emerald green with black and then kind of purple see I like that I think green and purple looks like really nice on that sort of like carnival um, aesthetic yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know yeah. you're sort of like red and black checkers or green and purple checkers i think both look really really nice and done well they're really done cool right. yeah uh, well i'm doing solid colors i there's no way i'm attempting to do um, <laughs> do the the diamonds or the checkers again that will yeah I, I know full well that if i ever got around to doing harlequins myself i i couldn't not do the checkers i feel like it'd be the the reason to have the army almost Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, well. Uh, good luck with that. You will. You will <laughs> be painting for a while. You will be. They will be in the garrison for a while. They, yeah. They know that you know. will be. I mean, like um, yeah. my my Escher gang in Necromunda is notorious for being very technical and having all right. sorts of fancy things going on there. And I love painting them. And I've got the nice. um, I've got the technique down with them now that I can knock like a ganger out pretty quickly. But it still takes me like a week of painting in the time I can get in to get one ganger painted. Yeah. But not yeah. a big issue for Necromunda. You know, I only need like sure. 10 yeah. to 20 models tops, really. Um, mm. But maybe Harlequin Force might be somewhere in the far future. 
yeah yeah absolutely so um yeah basically that's what's in my paint station at the moment is uh is going to be moving on to those guys and uh after that um but we'll obviously talk about that probably in the next uh the next episode see where i'm at but um yeah the uh obviously like i said i bought um bought some drukari kind of reinforcements for the, my clowns today so got some uh death queens to go along with my murder clowns so <laughs> it should be quite interesting um Cool. Uh, do you have how about yourself? What's going on yours? Your uh, your station. Well, I am both pleased and somewhat slightly annoyed with my result <laughs> outcome. Right. Uh, I'm very pleased that I got the um, my orc weird boy and my um, third mob of boys finished um, since the last show, which is great. Admirable. Yep. Yep. So um, Staz Skull is now ready to go around smiting people. Okay. He, he looks great. I'm really pleased with the outcome of him. Um, I'd sort of finished him in my like standardized death skull scheme, um, and I felt like he just needed a little extra something. Now I quite enjoy doing light effects on stuff when I get chances, so I decided I was going to do something on him. So like glowing eldritch energy sort of thing. Um, yeah. Which I wanted to do on the staff head. And in his open hand, because he's kind of got like an open palmed hand. Um, so I thought it'd look okay, nice yeah. if he was sort of like gathering some warp energy in his hand. Yeah, that'd be cool. But being an orc, it felt like the instinct is to do it as green energy. Right, but, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. But I didn't like the idea of doing that over his hand. Like, I think it had worked over the staff because that was over like coppers and metallic colours, so a green glow right. would work. Mm. But I don't think I'd get a good effect from a green glow attempt over a green skin. Yeah, yeah, I can see how you'd uh, yeah you come to that conclusion. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. Even if you did it, kind of, I think it even like darker shades and then built up. I think you'd almost have to go opposite. Yeah. I think you'd have to go really yeah. bright green for the glow over a yeah. darker skin tone but anyway I didn't because in the end I thought right well what looks like it's going to fit the palette like the colour the pattern of the model as a whole quite nicely and in the end I settled for like a purplish sure. uh, energy glow which I don't cool. think looks unorky like it looks like it works well with the model and I'm really pleased with it um, so I was really pleased with the outcome um, for him um, mm. I was just pleased to finally get the third mob finished for my initial thousand point force so all the orc boys in my like thousand and twelve hundred point force are now done they're all painted great stuff which means that i've been able now to start on the first of the actual orc trucks in the force which is what i said i was going to pick up after these so yeah that, yep. that orc truck is very much what is currently on my paint station um and then sat alongside him is um War boss Zag Dreg himself, but he's more as a um, he's like my side piece at the moment. I always tend to have something which, if I'm waiting for a stage or a a layer of something on my main model to finish drying, I've got another little figure or project I can pick up and just do an extra little bit on. So nice. Zag Dreg is currently overseeing the garrison. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I don't know when I'll find time to work on him mm. um, as such but when I get the odd moment but the thing that annoyed me is that annoyingly I haven't actually managed to finish that damn 
second piece of death for uh, death forest death world forest terrain it is so oh. nearly done i'm literally just um blocking in the last bits of like um the base basically i'm basing it it's all painted um okay. and i've got my artificial uh, green foliage on it now and that's now sanded oh, over and now i need to paint just the bits where the all the artificial plant life is actually attached to the base once i've done that i can flock it and it will be done so by my estimates it'll probably be done tomorrow <laughs> okay which really annoys me that i actually didn't manage to get it finished for the garrison tonight but it will be done tomorrow and then i can move on to the third piece of death world forest terrain Although that one will no doubt be waiting a while before it's finished, because that's starting from scratch, basically, for my next piece. Okay, great. Well, I mean, the, you know, the thing is, you're getting through it. Oh, that's, yeah. That's important. The, you are painting. Oh, yeah, I'm always painting something. I've got loads on the go. Like, I've even got... Um, technically, I've started on the mob of Mega Knobs, because um, if I get a moment um, and I've got nothing else to be working on or when things are drying I've been working on blocking in their skin um, but again oh, I, yeah, just, nice. uh, I always like to have some stuff that I can just pick up and do a little bit if I've just got 10 minutes so it might, yeah, it sure. might not be sitting yeah. down and going right this is my next big project piece and I want to make sure I do this bit properly or accurately or this bit's going to be involved or this is going to take an hour to really get some mm. progress on it. If you've got 10 minutes like right grab the mega knobs block in some more of the flesh then once yeah, grab yeah. the mega knobs wash the flesh next time I have 10 minutes and so on. Sure, yeah. So, no, absolutely. I, I kind of have um, quite a large garrison in that I've got a fair few things hovering around the paint station, but the primary one was the Weird Boy and the Orc Bob, and those are done. And my new primary um, thing that I'm working on is this Orc Truck, and it's about... It's probably a good 60% of the way there now because I've finished off all the primary colours on the model so like the main armour plate of the vehicle is all blue all the like underbelly and the inner framework and all the extra bits are all you know lead belchered and metallic now the tyres are all coloured in and muckied up and dirtied um, right. what I need my next pass now is to basically orkify the paint scheme so at the moment <laughs> at the moment yeah because yeah, at the moment the blue armor plate is all pristine blue you know it's it's base yeah. um mccrag blue and it's been washed with um uh golden blue glaze is it i think that's the yeah yeah um but the next step is now i i take really watered down mon fang brown so it's like a really really watery almost like a wash and i'll uh painting around the rivets and the edges of the armor plates and basically outline everything but so it's mm -hmm. kind of like doing a, an edge highlight but rather than it being a, a very neat straight line of an edge highlight it's deliberately a, a sort of mucky faded watery wash bit around the edges because that right. that then provides a guideline to where i'll go back and very gently dry brush lead belcher on it to make it all look like worn and chipped armor yeah yeah no that's good but, but that makes it look mucky as well as just chipped so then it looks really orky yeah and then nice. once that's done the majority of the model is done so then it's all the like the weapon mounts the headlights the um orc glyphs that are on it 
you know, deciding where I want to put on some checkerboard patterns or dogtooth patterns, all the, the, the fun bits. Yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping in the next week or so, um, I'll be getting to that stage and be making a start on that stage. Um, so hopefully that arc truck might actually be done by the next show. Um, don't know if it will be 100% there, but I'm hoping it will be. Grand. Well, you'll have to let us know next uh, next episode. I will do. I will definitely catch everybody up on the, where I'm at with that truck, and hopefully that damn Death World Forest piece will be done tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I'll be pictures up on my social media as soon as it's done, because yes, I'll, yeah. I'll be just pleased to see it finished. <laughs> uh, right, guys, so yeah, that was the Paint Session Garrison. Um, so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with the Hades campaign update. So see you all in a minute. And we're back, guys. Hello. Uh, so this is now the part of the show where we talk about the latest goings on in our 40k narrative campaign. Uh, taking part in the hate system. Mm. Um, so, since the last show, the main thing is that we concluded the first month of the campaign, which meant that we played we did, yeah. our, what we call, key battle um, games, where basically all of the factions, or at least as many of the players as possible, are available at this one evening in the week, in the month. And we all play the same scenario um, and basically we make a tally, don't we, of how many of the games collectively were won by order and disorder to work out which yeah. faction, yeah. like which overall faction, order or disorder, has won that month. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so this one we did was uh, a uh, scenario, uh, Descent of Angels, or uh, Descending of the Angels, or Angels Descent, one of them, um, from the Vigilus uh, Defiant book. Um, so we've talked about it in a previous uh, episode as well, but um, yeah, this is the one where you have to hold, um, basically hold your back line uh, with three uh, three different kind of victory points. And, um, and yeah, then the, the enemy has to charge up, and if they secure one of them um then they get a major victory but if you deny them uh any of the points then you win a major victory um yeah. and so yeah very uh very good fun um uh tony how did your how did your games go with that i think we touched on it briefly last week but just as a little yeah update. i can't remember how much we talked about in detail but my key battle mm. game was against um matthew's gray knights um so i won't go into the details because I think I talked about it more in depth last show. But um, basically, Zagdreg and his Iron War managed to crush the puny humans. Um, so I did manage to rack up a win for Disorder on the night. Um, and then you yourself, you played against, was it Rick's World Eaters? I played against Rick's World Eaters, yeah. yeah. How did that go? That went uh, that went very well for Order. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a tough one. Um, because actually, I played Rick last last Thursday as well against his World Eaters in in um, the he second two. Month yeah. kind of campaign games, and um, yeah, no, it's it, it, I, partly it's the, just the fact that if you play as a pure kind of it, from a fluff point of view, it's amazing. 
like the world is you know his world eaters are amazingly fluffy everything in there is corn or it's world eaters uh you know kind of shock infantry stuff with the corn berserkers um and if you have a pure wor world eaters uh, army they go from elite status to troop status which is great um so it means that they become a bit cheaper and you get more of them but at the end of the day you know they are still mini marines and they still only have one wound and they have some great powers so they you know being able to fight twice in the fight phase is just lethal um and so they will they should murder most of the stuff that they get into combat with if all of them get in but uh yeah it was it was a bit of a brutal game um so his first so he went first as the attacker that's just the way the scenario went and um he got lucky on a couple of orbital bombardments and then uh basically I counterattacked uh, after his first initial fight phase and uh, and wiped a load of stuff out with Captain Atreon. Um, and then I just brought down the rest of my forces and, and just really uh, systematically just started to um, take out units basically in the first in the preceding two turns. Um, so it was it was a bit tough for him, but I think but um, yeah, it was a good game. So we um, the uh, the Blood Angel stood defiant and um, did not take one step backwards. Many a, a heretic was slain that day, was it? Absolutely, yeah. There's um, not a single one survived. Although it's, I know a cheeky rhino survived, so that got to trundle off and kind of. There's used. always a cheeky rhino in Chaos Forces that survived. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's just because everyone thinks they're insignificant, and they <laughs> usually are. But you know, because once they've transported the troops to where they need to go, they kind of just sit there and don't <laughs> do much. Um, but yes, it was. Um, it was quite. It was. A, it was a good match. Um, but yeah, I think overall it was quite a uh, what well, was very close actually. I think it came down to that order won overall games, but disorder, I think, won more major victories overall. And I think it was really close, wasn't it? Basically, um, mm. I know that on the evening at the club, there'd been about what four or five games that were being played by people in the campaign. And I think it was more than that. I think we actually only had seven games in the end. But there you go, about seven games being played, yeah. so about 14 players, um, you know, like seven aside. And as the evening obviously tailed out, these games were finishing one by one. And it was amazing that the last game being played was actually going to be the decider because as, he, yeah. as all the results yeah. were coming in, it came down to... Um, it was in the balance for either order or disorder based on this last game result, which I believe was was it guard versus so, tyrannids? Uh, no, it was um, it was uh, Emma and her kind of Harlequin Eldari craft. Oh yes, yeah. Versus uh, Pritchard's Death com uh, Death Guard, um, and so it, it basically came down to the last last few things, and I think he had. I think he had one set of, of Plague Marines left that were holding one of the points and it was basically whether or not Emma was going to be able to wipe them out and then take the point um, take the point back. So if she was able to do that, which she ended up doing, then um, then yeah, then they won. So, but it literally came down to yeah the final few dice rolls, which is an amazing kind of feeling, but also a lot of pressure, I think. Um, it didn't help with the fact that it was about <laughs> seven of us just standing all around uh, watching the game, shouting out encouragement. But it was yeah, it was very good fun. But yeah, it, it's great when like that kind of um, hype builds around the game and a result like that, you know, mm, and not just for the yeah, players playing yeah. it, but for like everyone at the club and everyone in the campaign. Like you know, all the order players are rooting 
for Emma, all the Disorder players are rooting um, for... Who was it, Shay? Uh It was uh, Alex Pritchard. For Alex, yeah. Um, you know, so like really having your team behind you sort of thing. Like it, was, it was great atmosphere. I loved it. Um, yeah, it was great. So as a result of that, uh, the Order Forces are considered to officially like won the victory in month one. Mm. Which means that now moving forward... Um, for this next month, Order are all getting um, a special bonus in every game. Um, that bonus in this case being a, um, a plus one or minus one modifier to the um, roll to go first. Or yeah. if the scenario dictates um, a particular player goes first, the Order player can choose, uh, can re roll their CZ initiative roll. Or make an initiative roll if the scenario doesn't normally allow a easy initiative roll. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, in quite a few of these scenarios, it means that the attacker automatically goes first. So to be able to actually do that and potentially turn the tables is is actually quite huge. So um, yeah, it um, it happened in the game that uh, I had uh, last Thursday again against Rick, but it was. Um, kind of hold your uh, hold your gains i think it's called yeah which is basically uh you put about a third of your power level in the center and it's just one point literally just the one point and um then you have to defend it and you then get to call in uh reinforcements as the game goes on so from turn two you uh if you roll a three plus um you get um you get units to come back on for your side uh, but obviously the idea is that the Attacker has got his full army on the board, and they're able to just charge in or do whatever, and, and potentially um, deny uh, your forces from coming on if they play it tactically. So quite quite an interesting mm. one. So moving into month two of the campaign, uh, we've now officially increased um, our forces to twelve hundred point forces. Yep. Um, which we'll go into in a minute. Um, what I do like about uh, the way we. The campaign is being run is every month is kind of taking place on a new planet in the system. Um, yeah, that is really cool. That yeah. Yeah. So month two is being fought over um, the planet of, is it, Hephaestus, something like that. I think that's the easiest way to say. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Hephaestus, um, but yeah. basically it's the really urbanized planet in the system, isn't it? It's um, is it the capital yeah, city yeah. or the capital planet? Is it? Uh, I think it might be the capital planet. Yeah, but the idea is it's going to have lots more hive worlds and urbanized areas, whereas the last one was uh, kind of a jungle, foresty kind of area. So um, this month, where possible, um, people have been encouraged to actually play with the Caesar Death rules um, for this month, which is why we want to talk a little yeah. bit about it on uh, the show later on because. One of the games that you've played this month has actually been played using the Seas Devils. And then on top of that, um, we always have a a unique modifier or buff for each force for both order and disorder. And this month, um, what have we got? The order buff. Minus, it, yeah, yours is yours is better than ours. <laughs> yeah, but I think yours is better last month. So like last month, the order forces oh, yeah. were above watching in the five plus. Whereas this month, yeah, which is great, this month the order forces have got plus two leadership. Um, hmm. Whereas last month, 
The Dishonored Forces got plus one to advance and charge rolls, but this month we're getting plus two to armor saves for being in cover rather than plus one. Yeah, which is uh, which is quite tasty. Um, unless you're using the City of Death rules, which basically gives you that anyway. <laughs> yeah, because majority of stuff is hard cover. So, but yeah. it, it's nice to represent um, the more urban environment a little bit without it being full season death rules. Yeah, so absolutely. Better. Yeah. But um, what I'm really impressed by is just how even the like the overall campaign score is, even like two months in now. Um, yeah, it's 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 really really interesting. I think um, certain people. Early on in the campaign, uh, certainly in, in in the beginning of of month one, because um, you only have a thousand points and you kind of want to do it relatively fluffy. I think people went really hardcore on the fluff. Um, I know I did um, in the first match. It was all about the assault. Everybody had jump packs that could have them. You know, no expense was spared on that respect because you just want to get stuck in. And I think as people have gone on, they've gone, oh, actually, <laughs> while this is really fluffy, it's not necessarily going to win me a match <laughs> or actually be a good one. Um, so uh, I think people have started to change that a little bit. And I think you've seen that in the results that have come in towards the back end of the month one, where you are starting to... Because I think originally it was um, order, actually quite a bit of a gaining lead in the first two weeks. Um, yeah, I remember games that. that were played. And then people have started to change things a little bit more and kind of go, oh, actually, yeah, if I do this or if I bring this kind of unit, it's going to really help. Um, and I think, yeah, you've seen a real balancing out of kind of what's really still fluffy because um, you, you you don't have people spamming units. I mean, I'm not bringing, you know, two two or three smash captains and all kinds of stuff. It's, you know, it's so still you, really quite You've balanced. got your one captain who is a very unique and special character who happens to be very good at smashing things. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. He's, uh, you know, Captain Atreon. What can I say? This guy is... He's the guy you want watching you back. That's all I'm going to say. So, um, yeah, he's very, very good. Uh, and I think we've just seen that, you know. We've seen the fact that people have had some really, really great games. Um, just in general, you know, I think, um, as we talked about in the last episode, you know, narrative games and kind of a bit more kind of fluffy campaigny style games tend to bring out more kind of uh, interesting dice rolls they kind of bring oh, more I interesting totally games agree. towards the end mm. yeah um which is obviously what we saw you know with with the final uh, big battle you know where it literally came down to the final couple of rounds and final couple of dice rolls which is just really exciting so cool. absolutely yeah i think we're seeing some really good stuff coming through um across the board and and it's it's it is quite nice actually i think as well like you said to have games where it, you know and and a points kind of you know differential where it's only one or two victory points in, in you know between yeah. the two sides because well, you know it's not nice if you go oh there's like 15 space marine players and they've just absolutely trounced the uh the disorder side oh great you know there's not really any chance because it really does feel like everybody kind of has actually got a really good chance of making a mm -hmm. really big difference to the overall score with it you know depending on which match they play well, we've got um, a pretty straightforward scoring system that more or less boils down to if you win the scenario, you get five, like, uh, I think we're calling them Dominion points, are we? Or uh, Dominion points, yeah. yeah Dominion or Domination points, points yeah. One of two. DP. DP. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, if you win the game, you get five points. And if you had a fully painted force, you get an additional two points. Which means that even if you lose, but you had a painted force, you still get two points for your faction. Yeah, yeah, which is really nice. Actually, I think it's been really good in a kind of subconscious level to 
actually get people painting a bit more, which is oh, really yeah. great um, because it's it's really nice to go. Oh yeah, I remember those units were essentially just grey plastic, and now you've painted them all up, and that looks really great. Oh, it's awesome to see, you know, two forces which are fully painted going out. It's really cool. I particularly see it noticed it with like bricks, world eaters. Like mm. it's amazing yeah, how quickly he's, he's been smashing through them. Um, so I played a game, like a friendly game with him, and just seeing the difference between like his uh, the shots of his army at the start of the campaign to then when I played him to then the shots I've seen of his army like in the um, more recent games, you could just see mm. the progression and it's brilliant. Yeah, um, well, he had he had a fully pended army on on Thursday, and it was really nice to see actually. So that earned him his first um, sets of painted points, which I believe, yeah. which is brilliant. So yeah, like at the moment, at the moment, uh, two months in, the campaign total, just using that really dead simple system, um, is ninety eight points to order and ninety two points to disorder. So it really <laughs> yeah. is really close. Yeah, um, a couple of bad swings cool. one way or the other for so especially from the order side. You know, we have a couple of bad games. Really can tip it in the other way. Speaking of bad swings from order, um, it turns out <laughs> it turns out there's yeah. some, uh, some dark mechanicum uh, in the system because uh, that's true. That uh, what was believed loyalist mechanicum player has actually defected, hasn't he? He's completely defected this order side and uh, and and thrown off the shackles of ad ad mech. Um, in its in its current form and decided to become dark mech. So yes, he is um he's fully traitor traded up and uh he's he's completely and utterly dead to us. So um yeah, we yeah. will not suffer betrayal. Uh, I just, I'm just glad it means I don't have to be on the receiving end of those castle and robots. Oh yeah, well we'll come on to that. I I yeah, we'll come on to that a little bit later. I had, I had some yeah. interesting experiences with them, should we say, last week. So um Give us a little update then on how your force has changed moving from 1,000 points to mm. 1,200 points. Yeah, I think anybody who knows uh, Space Marines knows that you know 1,000 points isn't going to get you much. Um, and and 12, 1,200 starts to get into a f period where it's like, okay, you can maybe have something a bit more elite or, or kind of quite special units because that extra 200 points just does actually make a big difference to certain armies and especially, I think, to Space Marines. And so yeah, my uh, my force has has changed quite a bit uh, in response to, like I said at the beginning, I was quite fluffy. And what I realised from the first two or three games was that I can hit really hard in combat. But one, it's getting into combat, which I do very well because I've got the jump packs. But in terms of taking out armour and having some kind of long range firepower that can deal with that, I didn't really have anything because the points didn't really allow it. So one of the things that I've started to do is, is try and work in uh, a Devastator squad into my uh, 1,200 points list. So um, last week's game with Rick, I, I took the Devastator's uh, a missile launcher team, which did outstandingly well, actually. Um, they almost killed his command rhino on the first, <laughs> first go of shooting, <laughs> and they knocked uh, six out of eight wounds off a Hellbrute in the first turn as well. So... Rolled a, rolled a damage of six on both of those <laughs> wound rolls, so it was very, very good. But um, yeah, it's um, it, it kind of I think that's one of the things that um, now with a lot of the Primaris stuff coming out, um, they still lack is you know devastate devastate squads. I think still have a really significant role within Astartes armies because they fill a gap which we currently don't really have. 
because you can take predators, but predators only do certain certain things. Um, whereas the the devastators have quite a nice kind of jack of all trades, and there's some actually really cool stratagems you can use there. So if you take uh, heavy bolters, you can use hellfire shells, where if you hit, it automatically does D3 mortal wounds, which is actually really nice because it's essentially. Um, you know, if you if you're doing a couple of smites on a unit and you just want to take them all out, that's a really good way of doing it. And the missile, uh, the frac missile, I think is another one which basically um, is kind of the same thing, but for the missile launchers. So against fly, you get a plus one, uh, which means if you're a dev team uh, and you get your sergeant to give that person the signum, it means you're hitting a flying unit on twos, which is really really handy. Um, and then if you have an amorium cherub, you can basically do that structure more on again using the using your marine that has the signum so essentially you can double that up to potentially six mortal wounds so it's um it's rather tasty amount of firepower but from a small squad that's about 150 points well it might be soon that the primaris forces start using their fancy new tank though in this role that's true yeah i have been looking at that um because i, I quite like the look of the repulsor when it came out and i started looking at the stats because that is a stupid amount of weaponry that you get on it but none of it is particularly hard hitting whereas um, now there's a certain laser destroyer that looks very tasty yeah, <laughs> yeah. whereas now they're putting in the new executioner stuff um, and then the laser destroyers and some other very nasty well, stuff uh, with the new with the my impression is that it's basically kind of like a a, a marine Lehman Russ with a small amount of transport capacity, like similar to like Razorback, so actually it feels a little bit mm. like an Imperial Falcon. <laughs> if yeah, anything. yeah. In a way, it's. It, the, I think the problem with the, the new Primaris stuff is because the Mini Marines have been around for so long that I think they didn't, uh, and so many people have, uh, have armies of them, they didn't want to basically make them obsolete straight away. So, yeah. you know, you you basically have gone with things like uh, Inceptors. Uh, they're kind of like a half thing between assault marines and devastators, some other kind of flies yeah. and devastators, but they're not really either. either yeah. uh, aggressors are kind of like terminators, but, but not really. No. Yeah, you know. And then it's like, oh, okay. And then reavers—they're kind of interesting, but they're also not powerful enough to kind of make mm. them worthwhile taking, unless you take them in kind of quite a big group. Um, you know, and then obviously hell blasters are amazing. They're fantastic, but again, <laughs> they don't they don't fulfil the role of devastators in the same way. So it, it's quite an interesting mix that they've done. So I think what they've tried to do is is kind of ease these things in, and then they're slowly going to bring in things like the new uh, repulsor variants. So I think we're going to see some more heavy heavy support stuff down the line, um, and I think probably one of the earliest signs of that is in the Shadow Spear box with the suppressors, which are basically fast-moving guys with um, auto cannons. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking for. I'm I'm still expecting they're going to have a second weapon option when they end up getting a natural kit. Yeah, I think so. I think they will, and I think that's what you're going to start to see. So I think probably. I don't think it'll happen by ninth edition, but I think by tenth edition they'll have <laughs> phased out. They'll have phased out basically tactical marines. They may bring out some new kind of scout thing. That's basically um, but like a Primaris version. Yeah, pretty much this infiltrators, I think. Um, and then we're gonna have, uh, yeah, basically like you know we're we're gonna see kind of the quiet passing of the devastators. It'll be probably the last ones to go. Um, so and then yeah, they're gonna replace them all. 
So are the Devastators the main addition then to your thousand point boss, you know, to bring it up to yes, uh, them and uh, so I kind of I, I mix it in and out uh, depending on who I'm fighting and what I'm fighting. Um, but yeah, the Devastators are kind of a go-to now for me because they're they're just such a versatile weapon in my my opinion. Because Lance Cannons are great, but if you need to, because the problem is with the missile launchers, you can switch. So you've got the crack missiles, which are strength eight <coughs> minus two d6 damage, which is a great weapon. So you can concentrate on a piece of armor if you need to do that, uh, or something quite hardcore. Whereas you can also do frag missiles with it. So you're basically doing d6 shots four times. So if you need to hit something that's a bit like a horde or something that's just got you know, like a five-man squad of, of Chaos Space Marines or something, that's actually a really viable option because you can just wither them with firepower. So, yeah, uh, that sounds great. Uh, yeah. So, on the flip side then, um, Zagdreg's Iron War has grown a little bit with his additional 200 points. Well, I'm glad you said that because I was just about to ask what, what more monstrosities have you got in store for us now with an extra 200 points to play around with? Well, basically, um, Zagdrag has had his mechs busy scrapping together some more vehicles. Uh, okay, surprise, with. surprise. Uh -huh. um, just nice for now, simple addition of a uh, Death Killer Wartrike and a uh, Megatrack Scrap Jet. Which Interesting. Are, so they, they're basically, they could just ride alongside the boys in trucks and bigger boys in bigger truck. Um, Very cool. And I felt like it was justified as well because as much as I want to get round to adding my second like gun wagon and getting my second looted leaving Russ in there I don't yeah. feel like I've had the opportunity to loot anything good enough for it most of the games I've played in the like first six weeks of the campaign the best thing I've killed armor wise I think has been <laughs> Terminators <laughs> I don't, really, <laughs> I don't really think there's been much armor on the field opposite for me, so Zagdrag has been getting mm. rather frustrated trying to find some good loot. Well, that's it, yeah. I think, you know, unless you're playing basically guards, it's quite hard to get vehicles into most of the lists, I think, on the order side, um, because, yeah, they're just they're, they're relatively expensive. So, and, um, and those points are not efficient, per se, in a thousand point list. So, in my mind, um, that Death Killer Wartrike is probably built up out of melted down terminator armor and uh yeah okay pro pro yeah. probably has a an exhaust which is a, a lashed together selection of uh certain blood angel drum packs <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah well you know you'll uh, you'll pay for that comment <laughs> but yeah the, so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to getting them on the field because unfortunately i've not had a chance to actually play a uh, mode 2 game yet i have actually mm. in the last week played a very noticeable um, Necromunda game in the Necromunda campaign I'm currently taking part in, which okay, nice. I won't go into detail on here because it will be quite the spotlight game played that I'll talk about on the other podcast I'm part of, which I'm sure many of the listeners we have are also familiar with the Chronicles from the Underhive podcast. If you're not, you should definitely go check it out. It is go brilliant. check that bad boy out. Yeah, it is some premium like Necromunda content, it's brilliant. And I'll be on there telling them all about how my Eshes had probably the toughest and most entertaining fight of their life <laughs> last week. Very cool. Um, so is that the only thing that you're going to be adding or are you going to be trying to kind of uh, switch things in and out in terms of uh, based upon who you're, who you're fighting or are you just sticking to adding those two things? No, I'm pretty much just sticking to adding those two things. Like I really like the idea that 
the force I'm playing with is actually growing over time. So like, it's not just mm. Zagdreg is bringing in the different like orcs under his command. It's literally it's like, right, we've built these two new war machines, so they're going to be added to the force. They're now going to be riding alongside. Um, yeah. Maybe in some of the higher points values, there might be a larger shuffle around. Like, as much as I love my Meganobs, I find that I can't typically get them into a list if I also want to use my Gorgonaut. It tends to be one or the other. And at some point, right. I will be having a big stomping Gorgonaut uh, stomping around. <laughs> so there'll be a few things shifting oh. around here and there. Well, I'll definitely be bringing Captain Demeter along to support Captain Atreon at that stage. <laughs> like, um, I also know full well that I want to field natural air wing at some point. So, because I've got... Oh, wow. Well, I've got a, a Daka jet, a Burner Bomber, and a Wasbomb Blaster jet. And I... It, 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 you're talking <laughs> later in the campaign in higher points values, but I would love sure. to have a game where all three of them are zipping around in the sky. That would be exciting. That definitely would be exciting. Um, with the scrap jet on the floor, frantically trying to follow them. Yeah. Pushing he had wings. Yeah. Um, oh, poor fella. You'll get wings one day. Yeah. So I'm sure there'll be a bit more significant shuffling around in maybe another month or two's time. But for now, I like the idea that it's literally my thousand point force with some extra war machines bolted on because we've managed to cobble together enough scrap for our victories to yeah. build up this, um, these new additions. And in particular, the... The war trike I actually have modelled as like a a big mech boss on it rather than just a normal walk, like biker boss. Um, mm. So in my mind, I need to come up with a name for him really. But uh, in my mind, he's like Zagdreg's go-to mech, like his um, his first port of call. So of course, the mech is going to build himself a big fancy ride first. <laughs> nice, yeah, of course, yeah. So uh, I'm sure I will come round with some fancy name for him by the time he takes to the field I will let you know very nice um, so yeah that's pretty much everything going on in the Hades campaign I don't think there's anything else to add really is there uh, no I think we've uh, yeah I think we've covered all bases um, it's it's just yeah it's exciting mm. um, it's it's strange to think that we're, we're kind of halfway through month two as well it's, it seems yeah like hopefully by the next show we'll have actually played the key battles for the end of month two so uh, yeah, I'm looking forward yeah, to that. We're actually playing those as um, allied forces where they're going to be 2v2 games with two order players and two disorder players. And um, I don't know how the match pairings are lining up yet, but we know how the team pairings are. Um, mm. And I, my Death Skulls are going to be playing alongside um, the Death Guard. So we are Team Death. Oof. Oh jeez, <laughs> yeah. I'm playing. Uh, I'm playing with Matt in his kind of Astral Knights, Grey Knights list. So I'm really looking forward to that. I uh, absolutely love playing with Matt. He's uh, he's one of my favourite players to play with. So uh, very very pleased about that. And it's going to be great to get the Bro Force going. <laughs> I I think it was really funny that um, the two Ultramarine players were actually drawn to play together. So yeah, like yeah. they are going to be the two forces of the like the Thirteenth Legion fighting together on the field yeah. so I think that's going to be cool pure, pure vanilla lists mate that's what they've got <laughs> well maybe they might end up against some lucky blue gits and some stinky green gits who knows yeah who knows <laughs> so um, so that's everything from the Hades campaign update we're going to take a short break 
and then we'll be back with our spotlight topic for the episode which is going to be all about cities of death are you enjoying the narrative wargamer podcast if you are why not check out our community facebook group at narrative wargamer on facebook we share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players we're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists you can also find us on instagram at narrative wargamer and over on twitter at narrative 40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects Right guys, we're back and this is the Spotlight segment and we are now going to be talking about Cities of Death. Yes. So this is like one of the, I guess what you'd almost call alternate game modes really for 40k, isn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, it's it's just really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of Cities of Death, I think. I mean, um, Cities of Death, the original incarnation, is what inspired my guard force. Like, you know, the Medusan 501st, mm, our city fighters. Yeah. That's their whole deal. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I think um, for anybody who doesn't know where it is, the, uh, the main stuff is in the chapter approved book, 2018. And um, it's just got some really cool stuff. I think... Um, just across the board really there's some really interesting rules uh there's some interesting stratagems there's some really cool missions if you want to do it from a narrative point of view um but obviously you can play this in 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 terms of a match play which is what um i actually did uh on friday I played a match play game but uh in the kind of cities of death rules which is really interesting um and you know it's even got some some kind of cities of death warlord traits which is really cool so yeah i think take cool. something really alternative mm. that's you know some really cool stuff in there actually yeah so obviously cities of death is pretty much exactly that the idea is it's a 40k game that's being played in a really dense like close quarter urban environment mm-hmm. um yeah but it's not too restrictive on your other standard aspects of 40k like you know you're still gonna be two armies you're gonna be clashing you're gonna be trying to achieve various scenario objectives but it's all framed by you know tall blown out buildings um like open deadly roadways between them where squads and vehicles are trying to dart between cover to avoid getting caught out by snipers and entrenched enemies and it's just really really cool you know, it's... Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's so much in in that that is just really cool. But even the fact that it, you know in the book it recommends that you do kind of smaller units, um, which obviously for a start is is great because everyone takes combat squads. But uh, you know it, it's it's supposed to be a kind of more infantry based rather than loads of vehicles and uh, and you know tanks going to charging in the streets because the idea is it's so. Um, so heavily dense and urbanized that you can't really use tanks in a way that would be effective so you know if you've got something like killer cans or dreadnoughts or something like that that's really cool um but it's it's realistic really really supposed to just be about kind of infantry and and making that work and and uh, i know for myself i'm the cypress monday campaign which we talked about last time for myself uh playing against alex pritchard's death guard is uh, is all is pretty much all infantry and it, it works really really well because we've just stuck to the ideas that 
you know this is this is kind of two forces that don't really have access to a huge amount of the normal arsenals that either their legion or chapter would be able to to offer and uh, and they have to rely on on more of an infantry focus um, in order to get the job done and um, and it's really fantastic because I think some of the rules that they have um, for the ideas um, regarding some of the missions and stuff are really fantastic so you know the obscure target rule is really cool so um, you know if you have yeah so we'll just outline some of the key mm. like, differences between a standard game of 40k and a cities of death game so like the the most obvious and visually striking one is obviously you're going to be playing on a really really dense terrain board, but yeah, that's important yeah. because of the additional like core mechanics that you use in Season F. The first one being sure. obscure targets. So yeah, absolutely. That is pretty much if any unit vehicle monster whatever, if it's like partially obscured, like line of sight from the attacker to the defender. Um, then the attacking units so there's a minus one to hit modifier. Because yeah, but it's, it's every every model in the unit has to be obscured at some point. Yes, if the yeah, if a really unit cool. if a unit is kind of like half and half, you don't suffer the negative, do you? No, you don't. Yeah, but that makes it really interesting from a tactical point of view because you basically go, oh man, I I could kind of get maybe one more shot kind of here you know into that squad over there but actually if i'm completely obscured and i'm in cover myself you know on the return fire that's going to help me more than um more than not which is really good mm. you know and that actually played into it uh last last friday so i had a game against um uh just the admec uh, and it was really really interesting for us because you know we played a, a match play kind of game but um, at the same time you're playing with rules like this and actually uh, you know having my devastated squad obscured uh, so they were up on a on a, a quite a high building so they were quite they were quite visible but obviously works both ways but um, because they were all obscured they got the minus one which worked really really well in my favor uh, because his bot his um, castle and robots had moved so because they got heavy weapons and suffered the minus one for that and they normally hit on four so it meant fives um, and then uh, because of the obscure rod it meant they were hitting me on sixes so then that forced mark to pop a stratagem which allowed them to go back down uh, like a plus one to the hit roll but like the difference between hit the mm. fours that you rolled and the fives you rolled were enormous and it just saved my entire squad it was amazing but then you know having a squad that's holed up on the higher floors of like a burnt out building are going to be a lot harder yeah. to hit like you know yeah exactly so yeah. it makes sense um but because there are there's an additional layer of uh, minus to hit modifiers in the game that you also use the lucky hit rule which basically means if you play a season death game all all unmodified hit rolls of a six hit their target irrespective of modifiers yeah because it could be really cool to be honest this should really be a core game mechanic of eighth edition i think yeah, it's an interesting one because I, I, I kind of feel the same because there has been an element uh, in one game where I had quite a wounded tank that was hitting on, I think it was hitting on fours and then I was trying to shoot a flyer that was really, it's like a hemlock wraith fire that was really close to me. So I had the minus one because it was supersonic and then, uh, so it meant that, uh, oh no, so I was hitting on fives that meant I was hitting on sixes and then that person just popped yeah. light fast reactions. It's so it's like, I just can't hit you at all. Oh, that's really, really annoying. Because um, again, because you have to declare 
your shots before you take them. Couldn't switch that up, so that was an entire tank of just wasted firepower. Whereas I think, yeah, the idea of having something where it's like, well, yeah, you know, all these things are kind of there, but there are times where you're going to get a lucky hit, as it says in the book. So having it where, you know, six rolls always hit is really cool. Um, and then you've got uh, rules for streets and roads, which basically just means that if uh, if a unit or a, a model spends its entire movement phase moving down an open street or road, it gets to add plus three uh, inches to its movement. Um, yeah, it doesn't affect really significant actually that. Yeah, obviously because yeah, and the Isn't idea with this kind of thing obviously is that you don't have particularly large amounts of fly units because obviously they can just jump over buildings and all kinds of stuff. Whereas the idea with this is you would have to potentially spend one or two turns going through a building because you have to go around in order to get mm. to an objective. Whereas obviously but if you've got a fly unit, they can just fly straight over and there's no issue. I've always liked that idea that, that you know a road is a very open and clear surface to move down, so mm. it's going to be quicker and easier to move down. However, absolutely, yeah. That said. While it means that streets and roads in cities of death are quicker and easier to move along, they are generally a deadlier place to stand because one, you're probably not <laughs> going to be obscured yeah. as a target, so you're probably going to be hit normally. And two, yeah, there's another rule in cities of death called height advantage. There is, yeah, which is a great rule to have. So cool. And I've used this a couple of times to my advantage, and it uh, works really, really well. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, if ever a model makes an attack of a ranged weapon against an enemy unit, which they have height advantage over, you um, you improve the armor penetration of the other those fiery model's weapons by one. So like AP yeah. minus two becomes AP minus three and so on. Uh, and a height advantage is defined as being at, um, at least three inches higher than them, which is mm. a very uh, clever choice um, distance because that's the height of the old Cities of Death buildings. Like the flaws between buildings and that one were three inches high, whereas the new sector mechanicus and sector imperialis stuff are like five inch height differences. But generally, yeah, yeah. the more or less universal wargaming terrain, if you're on an, a higher floor, you, each floor tends to be at least a three inch height difference. So basically, if you're yeah. on a higher floor. But it's great, you know, because it means things like. Uh, tactical marines which don't have an AP to their weaponry stick them in a building, shoot something below them, all of a sudden they're, they're, you know, they're hitting rapid fire usually because it's going to be that close and uh, they get a minus one to boot as well on their AP which is just really cool um, and there's even some stratagems as well so um, there's there's quite a, there's like three pages basically or four pages actually of stratagems that you can use some are really really cool um, so use some on um on Friday to uh, to do some really funny stuff actually so uh, booby trapped a building uh, which is slightly different <laughs> from KT um, so anybody's kill team knows that you know you can roll for this part of the scouting phase you can um, you can booby trap stuff uh, whereas the one here is uh, is yeah it, it's different in the sense that um, like like the normal rule where you approach the building if if you know as the f the first enemy model enters a, a one inch of the terrain it sets off the booby trap um and they suffer u that unit suffers d3 mortal wounds which is great but if they've advanced that turn um it you uh it's d6 which is really cool so if you advance and you go yeah i'm going to go up to this building i'm going to be protected for the next turn and somebody goes oh yeah I've booby trap that building boom all of a sudden you could lose half your squad which is really cool 
Um, and then in addition as well, you roll a d6 for that, and on a 4+, plus that terrain um, then becomes dangerous terrain. Um, I don't particularly... This is the only kind of question with the Seeds of Death thing, is the, the actual dangerous terrain rule here isn't as good as the one in Kill Team, and I feel like it should be like the one in Kill Team rather than the one it is here. So this is when you... Um, so you can move through dangerous terrain fine, but if you either make a charge through it or advance through it, then you have to roll a d6, and on a 1, that unit will suffer a mortal wound. Whereas the one in Kill Team is if you kind of finish your move uh, or begin your move um, on dangerous terrain or in dangerous terrain, um, then you have to take the test, and on a 1, you'll take a mortal wound, which I thought was was kind of better because it adds another level of tactics to the game where you go, well, you know, Oh, it's a bit of a risk actually going through here. If I don't have that many troops in this unit, that could be quite significant. You know, if if it takes out like a plasma guy, because you've had to just move through it, then that's really interesting. But this one, you just when you move through it, there's nothing really happens. So, I think it should be more like the kill team one personally. Um, yeah. So the you know the booby trap one was really great. It's really really great. Um, and then the other one. Uh, is uh, rubble and ruin are used as well so use the strategy before the first battle round um but before the first uh, turn starts select a select a building uh you cannot select one that's already occupied by models but the one that you've selected basically becomes dangerous train for the rest of the building uh rest of the rest of the battle which is was quite cool. Nice, cool um but at the time i thought it was the kill team style rules so I thought, <laughs> oh, i'll just create one in the center but obviously you know looking back it's not as good um there is actually a really cool one which mark used against me because um he brought he brought the uh, the robot pain basically <laughs> he brought uh, eight Castellan robots, seventeen fifty games. Just a few. It was it was brutal, mate. And you know squads of two. Oh man, to, trying to take them down. You know th there was still five of them on the field by the end of the game. And I was like, there's no <laughs> way I'm going to be able to kill all of these just with the force I've got. It just because it was like you've chewed through so many of my men, um, so yeah, basically, and they all had heavy flamers as well. So it's like two d six auto hitting on the overcharge Overwatch. Well, and you know I've only got Captain Atreon who can do uh, no Overwatch. So anything else was just going to get fried, bait, you know, Cajun style. So um, that so is very significant because the one other rule that we've not mentioned yet is the difference between soft and hard cover in season F. Mm. Which basically just means there's two different kinds of cover. Well, we'll come on to that in a second because um, the stratagem uh, he used. So basically, I I jumped out of the way with um, some of my company veterans. Um, which anybody who's a Blood Angels player who hasn't used company veterans before, use them in your next match. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> them with the banner of sacrifice is one of the greatest and most annoying things you will ever see. Saved so many wounds on that. Um, but the here so basically I put them out of sight for when I charged so that I wouldn't suffer any overwatch. So at the time you go, Oh that's great. You know, I'm not gonna get basically two T six flamers in my face. Um and I rolled and got the charge, which is great, but you know, didn't suffer the uh, overwatch. So I was like, Great, fantastic and in um, he went, Okay, so just move your units in. So I moved um you've moved the company vets in. Um, and then, because I was, ended up obviously within one inch, because you know that's the way that the charge rules work. Um, 
he did point black overwatch so he says use this strategy with the end uh when an enemy unit declares a charge against a unit from your army instead of firing overwatch as soon as the enemy unit declares its charge the enemy unit makes its charge roll as normal if it's insufficient to make a move within one inch of the target no overwatch is fired um at the charging unit otherwise all models in the charging unit are considered to be within line of sight of all models in the unit being charged and within half range of all of its uh, range weapons when resolving the overwatch so you know if you'd you know uh, in squad of intercessors for example you're automatically double tapping just because it automatically assumes yeah. you're going to be in half range brutal man but because it you know is a couple of his castle and robots with these flame gauntlets it was just like oh it's now going to be uh, 2d6 uh, flames coming in. That's oh, <laughs> that's another uh, um, strategy that I'm surprised isn't actually in the core game. I almost feel like that could be a universal strategy, like point blank. Yeah, overwatch. that could be that could be one. To, especially, I think with something like the guard, that would mm. be amazing. Um, but yeah, there's some really interesting ones, and I really, know, there's, I really like cool um, stratagems. I really like seed shells. I think they're brilliant. Oh yeah, that's brutal. Actually, yeah, uh, I was they're like that um, one, but I didn't have any vehicles. Yeah, because they have they're one CP um, stratagems where um, use it when you're about to shoot with a monster or vehicle from your army that has a weapon with um, a random number of shots because they're generally high explosive weaponry. Yeah, um, and you get to target an actual building or ruin as if it's an enemy model. Yeah. <laughs> so you actually shoot the terrain piece. You make one shot regardless. Um, firing on your ballistic skill with no modifiers. If you hit the building, um, you roll a d6 and add the damage stat of the weapon. And if you get eight or more, um, the terrain feature immediately becomes classed as dangerous for the rest of the game. Um, yeah. And everyone in that terrain feature immediately has to make dangerous tests. So the idea that yeah. you can take like a Vindicator and its job or game is just to keep sieging buildings and just <laughs> make the opponent's yeah. entire half of the table dangerous terrain. Yeah. Like, how cool is that? It's very cool. Um, I really also wish it would just be like immediately the building is not only, you know, so if they had like super volley shells or something, because you, you could take that one thing th further. So you make it 2CP or even 3CP, but it's like high velocity shells, so you do that kind of thing, but it automatically destroys the building um, <laughs> and you have to remove the building and then everybody inside has to take a, a you know, like a like the dangerous terrain test. And obviously, but, it, but because it's high velocity shells on a one or a six, they suffer a mortal wound. That I think would be amazing. And then you, you obviously, so basically it's like the building crushing down around them. I think that would just be insane. Uh, but that's my, my own personal thing. Uh, and then there's um, Brig to Blow as well. That's another brilliant one. Some fantastic little things. Yeah, yeah it's really nasty. Like that's some really nasty. Games. That, that's a two CP strat where um, <laughs> you use it at the end of your turn. Secretly pick an objective marker that is not currently controlled by your opponent and write to raise it down. Uh, the first time a unit in your opponent's army ends a move within three inches of that objective marker, roll d six, and a one nothing happens. Two to five is of a D3 model wounds, on a six is of a D6 model wounds. But in addition, roll a D6 if the objective marker was on or within a ruin or sector mechanic structure. On a four plus, that terrain feature is now classed as dangerous terrain. So, yeah. like, I'd love the fact that when you play in a Cities of Death game, because of things like these stratagems and so on, quite often, not only will your 
armies becoming more damaged and haphazard and injured as the game goes on. But so does the battlefield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the actual yeah. city you're fighting in becomes degraded and damaged and destroyed and hazardous. And that's just cool. Yeah, massively so. And I think actually that leads on quite well to the different battle zones that they've put in the book. Yeah. Um, so the urban battle zones are fantastic, actually. The the one that I love the most. Conflagration. The infestation one is amazing, but conflagration is just awesome. Yeah, oh, so for anybody who doesn't know. City. Yeah, essentially what happens is the, the way it is is basically an inferno is sweeping across the city. So... Um, you basically have to roll at the beginning of uh, every every turn, basically, or every every battle round. Sorry, um, and basically uh, on a six, you roll it for every single building on the, on the map, and then uh, on a six, that building will be uh, set ablaze. And then what happens is every round after that, you put you add one to um, the the flame marker. So you you put it on a six at the moment, or like on a one, and then um, you roll a die. So basically on a six plus, um, yeah, the train gets set ablaze, um, and then the flames intensify, and then smoke uh, basically appears from the building. So you can't uh, it obstructs your views, and so uh, that means that the unit is not visible um, through or over the terrain. So if you're trying to shoot, or you can see a um, like two rooftops across, you can't shoot them because the building's on fire and there's smoke everywhere. So it's just really, really cool for that kind of stuff. But then you get consumed by the fire. So it adds such an amazing tactical level. So, for example, if I'm using my Devastator Squad, I'm going to put them in a building so they can fire all match without moving because they've got heavy weapons and you know they're not going to suffer any penalties. That's great. But then if somebody decides to use one of the stratagems, which is arsonists, this is also one of the best things I've ever seen, is uh, a gene sealer squad basically <laughs> lighting a Molotov cocktail and throwing it into a building to set it on fire. Um, you can use the CP to automatically set that building on fire. So all of a sudden, every single time I'm... Uh, you know, basically every round that goes by, the flames are getting worse in that building, and more and more of our guys are at a chance of dying, because basically when you do consume by the fire, is at the end of the battle round, after rolling to see if the train feature has been set ablaze, each player must roll a dice for each of their models that is entirely on or within a terrain feature that has been set on fire. Add the results of the train feature's blaze dice for the score. So for each seven plus, the model's unit suffers mortal wounds. So uh, it's you know it's not going to be a crazy problem if you roll a six if it's just on a one, but every time it goes up, it's going to become harder and harder to to roll basically because you know yeah, cause that next turn it's going to be growing fives and growing yeah. and growing. Yeah, exactly. And then so if you leave them in there, basically I think it's by turn three you're going to be ruling rolling fours and they'll suffer a mortal wound. So it's it's brutal, and it's cool because there's another stratagem called firefighters where an infantry unit can then instead of shooting, reduce the blazes by one. So that's quite tactical in itself. But then obviously you're especially a, you know shooting basically. Especially when in cities of death, all the objective markers for any given mission have to be placed inside a building. Oh yeah, that one's brutal, and that's actually the first cities of death match we played. Uh, that was the one where Atreon and Thrax had their kind of big showdown mm -hmm. inside a building that was on fire and, you know, they had kind of battled in, in the flames and it was just fantastic. Um, that is my favourite one. Tony, do you have a, a favourite urban battle zone? Uh, I my my favourite is the conflagration, I have to admit. Yeah. But 
I do also think the um, is it the pollution one is the other one that is oh, actually quite good. So grim, so grim. Really, really good though that one. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to talk us through a little bit about that one? Yes. Give me one second. Yeah. So the um, so the pollution zone comes with a few uh, added extra environmental rules. One of which is uh, acid rain. Um, so this is where you subtract. Yeah. So oh, so good. You subtract one from the toughness characteristic of models unless their unit is entirely on or within a ruin or mechanic and structure, um, or if they're a monster or they have a vehicle, uh, or they are a vehicle with a toughness characteristic of seven or more that does not have the offensive ability. So basically, your your infantry more or less is going to be minus one yeah. toughness if they are not in a building because. There's acid rain in this, you know, polluted. Basically lashing down onto world. the streets. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's what I love because obviously, if you're doing a cities of deathmatch like uh, the way it kind of recommends, where it's heavily infantry based, you're actually going to really suffer on that map because all of a sudden these space marines are no longer going to be toughness four; they're going to be toughness three, <laughs> and that's going to yeah, be a huge difference. But then those toughness two eldar or uh, guardsmen who would then be wounded on twos by bolters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. that's the thing. Oh, yeah, completely. Um, it's one actually I haven't played yet, but it's one I would, I would, I would quite Yeah, like I've not had a chance to play this one yet, but I think it'd be sort of fun to play. Um, it also uses the Shrouding Smog rule. So targets are obscured even if they are completely visible to the firing model or they have the Flyer Battlefield role. In addition, the maximum range of rapid fire assault and heavy weapons is halved. So you're basically, oh, fight so brutal. You're basically fighting in a fog. Like in this case, a toxic fog, but like literal fog of war. So yeah. everyone's always everyone is always at minus one to be hit in the scenario, um, and you're basically at half range on the majority of your weapons. And although that yeah. it, it does only it's only halving the maximum range. So in the case of like rapid fire weapons, they, whenever they have the opportunity to fire, they would always be in rapid fire range. Does that make sense? Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because the weapon's maximum range... Uh, actually, no. No, I think I'm wrong there, actually. I don't know. In addition, the maximum range of rapid fire sort of heavy weapons is halved. So your maximum range would be 12, which means your half 12 range for 24 would be 6. Oh, yeah, actually, I think that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, no, but I understand the way that you were trying to say it. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I think I was actually wrong. Yeah, I think it is the technically like all the information to do with the weapons halved more or less yeah uh, this, uh, i think that one's a really interesting um, one um, especially if you're going to be like a towel player where you're heavily reliant on shooting um you, all of a sudden you know your 30 inch weapons are now maximum range 15 and you're only going to be rapid firing at uh, probably let's say seven at that point and then Just, you know rounding up Oof. in addition um because this is a really ruined, over like industrialized cityscape in the pollution battle zone. Um, it's also a crumbling city, so all the ruins and mechanical structures in this scenario are dangerous terrain. Um, and in addition, uh, you, if a piece of terrain would provide hard cover, it doesn't. It only provides soft cover unless it's been reinforced by a stratagem. So yeah. everyone's at minus one to hit. Everyone's in dangerous terrain. Uh, and everyone is potentially at minus one toughness if they're not in the buildings. So yeah. it's a really, really hazardous place to fight in. Yeah, um, oh, it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It's, it's, it's one that I'm I'm quite looking forward to. And 
Yeah, just really, really brutal. Really so, brutal. Because the conflagration one, I think, is is just fun and crazy. And you can kind of really imagine the epicness when you start seeing all these buildings get set on fire. Uh, whereas the pollution one is just brutal. Like, trying to fight in that is just going to be horrible. And really, yeah, so death. The, uh, the pollution um, battle zone is a particularly hazardous um, scenario but I have to say all the other cities of death scenarios and gameplay rules and battle zones all the rest of it they don't come with the built in hazardous aspects that a lot of like special narrative scenario stuff does in fact if anything with the minus to hits and the, and the plus two to covers from hardcover um, cities of death is actually a more durable um, general format of 40k units are more survivable however yeah. that that aspect of hazardness can be introduced by the players so using arsonists using seed shells using booby traps um, like it can be it's quite methodical and quite interactive hazardous gameplay because oh, yeah. I know one thing that some people may not enjoy about most of the battle zones is when everything just seems to be universally hazardous to both players. Well, Cities of Death isn't as universally dangerous until the players actively make it so, which feels like you're engaging more then with that narrative side of fighting with the environment and making use of the city itself as a yeah. weapon. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, Yeah, it kind of brings in the element of the city being its own kind of player within the game as well you're not just oh here's a building and i'm just going to sit in this and mm. and i'm just going to use it for cover or whatever it's like instead is this oh, building actually, on this fire is yeah is this building on fire is somebody going to shoot this with a seed shell yeah <laughs> yeah you know and i think yeah, all those things start to really really bring into it um and I've played, uh, there's a third one in the battle zones that you can kind of add into this called Infestation. Um, and that is uh, essentially, you know, you pick either kind of pox walkers or some kind of swarm unit like oh, gene boys, stealers. Gene stealers. Yeah, yeah boys, whatever. whatever you want. Um, I used once uh, Necron, Necron Warriors and Immortals. So the mm. idea being that there's some kind of... Two world waking you know, up. Yeah, world waking up, but they're not fully there yet, so they're kind of a bit aimless and they don't really know what to do. But they're kind of congregating around these kind of power points, which were the control points. And um, and yeah, obviously, if anybody comes near them, their kind of binary, you know, defense system Ooh, works. I've just thought, basically yeah, in. you could do quite well with um, using like gene stealer acolytes if it's if they're the infestation um, when it's a battle between like imperial and chaos forces, pretty much like on Vigilus. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's actually yeah. Chaos and Imperial forces trying to fight for this world, but there's also a Gene Stealer cult here that you know <laughs> that doesn't doesn't want to lose its hold on the on the planet. So they <laughs> who the hell are the pauper princes? Who knows? But they're here. Yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's it because it worked really well actually in in the match that we did. Um, the only problem with that, I think, is when you try and re-roll for new infestation units, it. Um, it only goes off, I think, on a six, um, which most of the time didn't really work for us. So uh, if you end up do playing in this, to get add more of it, because obviously you, you basically wipe out the infestation ones pretty early on because they're usually in the way of what you need to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have to roll to see if you bring more on, 
whereas I was like, oh, um, you know, none of them basically came on after we did that. So um, it, it it annoyed me because I was like, I really want more of these guys on here. So, you know, in the next time I play this, I want to make it where it's like, so the first, it's like the infestation grows. So in the first time you wipe something out, it's like a six. But then if nothing happens, if they come back, they come back. If not, but basically every turn... Um, it ups the ante, so kind of like the conflagration one, where you know you keep adding more fire, you keep adding more to the infestation rolls. So all of a sudden, you know they come back on a five, and then they come back on a on a four, and then a three, and then a two, and then basically the idea is that they just keep swarming this area. Yeah, I mean that would be interesting way to do it. I guess the other thing you could do is you could like escalate the scale of what the infestation units are. So you could start yeah. with like turbogons. And then the next time they're reinforced, it's Gene Steelers. Then the next time it's reinforced, it's some Tyrion Warriors. And then the next time it's reinforced, it could be a Cardifix comes, you know, bowling in, you know, yeah. whatever. Like that, that'd be an interesting way of doing it. Oof, yeah, mm. that would be brutal. Um, but yeah, so that one, that one was interesting. Um, it does make your game a lot longer though, because you then have to do a third turn for the infestation units themselves. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, um, I mean, it's so worth saying that Cities of Death as a whole adds um, a bit more time tax on a game because there's a few mm. more layers to consider. Things don't die as easily, typically. Um, and you have to spend more time manoeuvring and getting into the optimal positions. Which, sure. you know, if you're looking to play a, a really you know, like involved narrative game, with lots of scenic and cinematic moments, then those are generally the games that are best planned for like a full day of gaming or when you're not on sure. the time pressures. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like the uh, the game I've got next week with Alex, we're going to do another Cities of Death one, and, and that's probably going to be an all day just because mm-hmm. you know we want to we want to enjoy it and soak it up as much as we can. Um, so yeah, so we'll move on to um, games played in a minute, but um, just as a sort of summary to all that, that's basically Cities of Death and. It's actually not too difficult to try it out, basically. You just need a good sure, chunk yeah. of terrain, you know, and it doesn't have to be, you know, tons of expensive kits or bespoke terrain, just a lot of dense buildings and ruins, and uh, you can make it work really well. And there's a lot of scope to really try something new and interesting with Cities of Death, and I would highly advise it to anyone that wants to give it a try. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll talk about uh, the match I had last week uh, that was the City mm-hmm. Death one in the next part. But um, yeah, highly recommend it. Yeah. So um, we will uh, head over to Games Played. So we'll be back in a minute. And we're back, guys. Uh, so Games Played is where we're at. And... To be honest, I've not actually really played any since the last show. Um, <laughs> the I've not had a chance. Uh, I said the the one chance I've had to sort of play a proper game, I played my my big Necromunda campaign game, so that's uh, what I've played. Um, I am hoping I'll actually get a um, just a, a non campaign game with a friend this weekend, and then next week I'll be playing in the key battles for the end of month two. So. I myself will have plenty of games to talk about next show, but um, as I don't have any uh, this this week, um, 
What have you been up to, Adam? What games have you played? Yeah, so I played um, played two. So we had a, a Hades game on uh, on Thursday, which is against Rick's World Eaters. And um, briefly, yeah, that was another victory for the Blood Angels. Uh, again, I really feel sorry for Rick. He had some very bad rolls, and I was rolling very, very well. Um, so it was the holds of gains. Uh, so I had to just basically hold the center until the end of the game. Uh, power points level again, so you had a third of the uh, force was on the table, the rest were off, and we'll bring back in reinforcements. I got very, very lucky on my reinforcement role in the second battle round and brought on all but one unit um, onto the map. Uh, onto the map. So it was, um, yeah, it, it was pretty brutal. Um, made the charges with things like Sand of Greenery Guard. Um, I brought for the first time, and I absolutely love him, and I really want to start using more, is the Librarian Dreadnought, which is um, <laughs> a Blood Angel-specific unit. Um, and uh, gave him the Wings of Sanguinis ability, uh, along with Unleash Rage. So the Unleash Rage didn't go off, um, and I didn't really have the command points, tactically speaking, to to kind of waste on stuff like that and do a, do a re-roll. But you did get but to wings sprout the wings and fly your dreadnought across the field. But yeah, you know, and who really doesn't want to see a dreadnought fly? Let's be honest. So with that, um, during the psychic phase, you basically it's like quickening or uh, twilight pathways for the harlequins, where you basically do another move. So you instantly move, um, and your uh, characteristic becomes fly, and your movement comes up to twelve inches. So you you move your normal eight inches. Um, you then pop this, and you get to move another twelve. And because you can fly, you can then fly over units and get really stuck in really quickly. So, um, yeah, I, I basically flew within an inch of a of a poor rhino, and um, yeah, that 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 thing did not last long. Let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting game, but just very I feel really bad for for Rick. So what you know, did, I um, uh, I got. Out of interest, what did you have as your central defending force at the beginning? Like what was uh, actually defending the centre of the walls? Well, my power level was basically only like forty points or something, so we kind of rounded up a few different things. But uh, essentially, it was just Captain Atrion and uh, a squad of Devastators, <laughs> and that was it. So he was um, he was directing so, the defensive fire, was he? It was it was a bit of a you know is this going to be a very quick game here where I'm just going to get wiped out? Um, but then I got really lucky, like I said, on on some of the. Um, some of the roles rick put everything inside his rhinos and then advanced the rhinos in the first turn so there wasn't really any shooting so it basically got i got a couple of free goes um but the way i positioned the guys on the gra on the floor of the building meant that when he charged him with his berserkers he could only get three guys up on the first floor and the rest of the floors were were, were taken so basically I'd, I'd knocked a lot of power in terms of you know the weight of attacks and stuff off mm -hmm. him um, and the person they came up against was Captain Atrion. So uh, he just took it like a beast, basically, on his storm shield. And I think he survived nine rounds of uh, Berserker attacks, uh, which wow. was fun phenomenal. Now, yeah, when you say was... nine rounds, was that nine rounds of like them striking twice, or was it like four no, rounds No, no, that was four rounds, yeah, yeah. four rounds, so, but striking twice, but uh, one round he couldn't. He didn't get in, or you know, he didn't. Have yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was a good game, but I, you know, I feel really bad for him because again, you know, he dropped in his terminators and then fired his combi melters um, at uh, my death company, but my death company were on a piece of terrain, so they got a, uh, they got a six up armor save. I rolled uh, I rolled four of them, um, 
and saved two of them and got sixes. And then the other two I rolled for my feel no pain. So what you did is D6 damage on his first one, he rolled a one. And then the second one, he rolled a three. So the first one, uh, first piece of damage, which was a one, I rolled and got a six on my feel no pain. <laughs> and then the second one was uh, was three. So that that killed the guy. But out of out of all of that, I lost. It was an enormous amount of fire pen. He should have wiped the squad. But I lost one one member of my death company guys. So that was that was particularly brutal. And I've really felt for him as well because he should have just annihilated him absolutely annihilated stuff and it just didn't come off um you know and then because they don't have the fly keyword i just tagged loads of units and just kept them tied up for most of the game or you know slowly whittled them down and prioritized targets so um it was a win for me um but i really enjoyed the game and i you know i really love playing rick and i, I really want his world eaters to be world eaters in the fluff you know but they're not the same on the tabletop uh which is a real problem well who knows um, so they might someday soon be getting their own codex like i hope that would do. be good i really they do hope there's it. a bit of a revamp yeah i really do as well um and then uh yeah so we had that game but the problem is obviously with the uh, the uh campaign stuff while it's great you most people are going to be playing the narrative stuff for the basically the next three to four months so in terms of getting a uh just a random game in you know kind of match play or something that's going to be bigger than the 1200 points uh it's going to be a little bit difficult so tried to organize again with mark and um, i said oh you know let's have a game went around his and i said let's you know if you're up for it let's try the cities of death rules so um yeah we uh he was up for it and we cracked that out and um it was really really great it was um it was a good match um but he spent most of the time on the roads and streets, so it meant that his Castellan robots, which already moved six, basically got into much more closer flamer range <laughs> because they added the extra three onto their... Um, oh, onto yes, because they come stomping up the road. Yeah. So they came charging up the road all the time, um, but that was a really good game, and we booby-trapped loads of buildings <laughs> and uh, and tried to blow each other up. Um, so I think I booby-trapped one of his buildings that he went into, and he killed killed three of his guys on that one and then um he did the same but i didn't move until the fourth turn so then he went oh you've set off that booby trap <laughs> boom <laughs> you know went off and i lost like two guys from that as well so um yeah it was really interesting um i think you know the kind of the whole cover system and everything like that works really well um but he he made a kind of fatal mistake which was he moved one of the guys from one of the buildings which was near the objective down to hold the objective because it was a troop but it then meant that the entire unit was no longer in hard cover so they got no cover bonus whatsoever i dropped him with my sanguinary guard which was 10 of them so it was like 20 shots with the uh angels bolt guns and they just wiped that squad off the map because it was minus one and loads of the admech stuff is basically a four up save on their armor so basically everyone was on a five up save but i hit pretty Which, much with everything yeah five up is not uh, both of both saves. of us were rolling very very well yeah so it, it, it basically meant that squads were wiped out um but yeah it was a real foot slog um down in kind of the the bottom left hand of the of the board uh, because uh, that's where I tied up. I'd, I kind of struck there with most of my forces. So I had two company veteran squads, which are essentially the same as vet Vanguard veterans, um, but they have the uh, bodyguard rule. But you can only take them in squads of five. But it also means that they can have access to like special weapons and combi weapons and stuff. So there's a lot of loadouts you can do for them. But I just kept them as uh, storm uh, shields and thunder hammers, along with a couple of lightning claws and things like that. 
and um, yeah, basically uh, put them next to the banner of sacrifice or the standard of sacrifice, which uh, for anybody who doesn't know that is like an Astartes banner, so it will give you a four up. Uh, you can then shoot back if that person dies. But before that, it gives uh, any model within six inches of it a five up feel no pain. So um, <coughs> it was very, very effective at giving some staying power. So most of the time, you know, company vets, Vanguard vets, they've only got one wound each. And once you start popping storm shields, they get whittled down quite quickly. But because I uh, limited the amount of storm shields I had in every unit, I was basically rolling less dice at a time. So I was rolling it kind of singly because I was like, right, well, if you kill this guy, it's going to be on to the next storm shield. But once yeah. he's gone, so I have to do it kind of one at a time. So I was tanking an ungodly amount of wounds on these storm shields. And um, yeah, then I had the banner as well. So I saved loads of feel no pains on the banners, which was just fantastic. So they were a really, really tough squad to get around. Um, and they helped out a ton, which was really, really great. And um, But then the only problem is, you know, classic combat armies, it just takes forever to get through stuff if you get stuck in. And unlike uh, Harlequins, which can pull out of combat and then charge back in, um, this this didn't happen because the blood is also <laughs> kind of got stuck in a huge melee for like three turns. Um, and he just kept putting in these castle and robots and it was just brutal. Oh man, they're just, they're really good units because they're like strength and toughness six, um, six oh, wounds they're, they're no joke, castles. They're no joke, they really aren't, you know, and if you give them the flamers and the guns, so it's six shots on each gun, hitting on fours usually, uh, it's like minus, uh, strength five, minus two, one damage each. So they're just, they'll rip through stuff really quickly, and then you can add the flamers on top. It's just brutal. But you can make them punchy bots as well, so you can flip them out so they've got these insane I, I like the like punchy strength bots. 10 stuff. Like, I know most oh, people yeah, tend maybe. to go with all the Dakabot versions, but I really like the punchy bots. Yeah, well, the Admech stuff is really interesting because he basically can change protocols, is what it's known. So you can change mm. him from punchy bots to uh, shooty bots in. In in the middle of the game, which is quite cool, um, and then there's a strategy where you basically stand them still, um, so that it means they can fire twice. <laughs> it's just insane. So it's a lot of dacker if you do uh, big squads of six, basically. So what was the um, but, yeah. ultimate outcome of that game then? So we played uh, a match play uh, vital intelligence match. Um, so I knew that even with my force of storm shields and thunder hammers and all kinds of stuff. I I probably wasn't going to be able to chew through um, all, you know, eight um, eight of these robots in the game and then still be effective. Um, so I basically just played to the mission. Um, so we had five different uh, CP, and in Mark's kind of uh, eagerness to get to me, because I'd hidden so well on the first time that he basically didn't shoot anything in his first turn. Um, he basically charged up the road, and because he was getting all of these extra three inches on his move because of the road, he was he was moving really quickly. But it basically, he f totally forgot until it was halfway through um, his shooting phase that he'd moved off all of the objectives. Uh, so yeah, he, had, he held mistake. no objectives um, with anything, and it left loads of room in his backfield. So I just deep striked in. Uh, my Inceptors, and then, you know, deep strike in my Sanguinary Guard on the third turn, and along with Company Vets and, and Atreon and everything, so it was just, yeah, I, I basically racked up the points, and I think we ended up on 11-5 uh, in the end, because I just, I thought, I'm just going to have to play through the points, that's the only thing, and then actually having things like hardcover really saved me. 
Um, and funnily enough, power armor in this time, just having a three-up armor save really, really <laughs> made the difference. Um, so it was really good. Uh, and then it took took him four turns to wipe out the Devastator squad because the obscured rule and then just being in hard cover made a huge difference. Um, but yeah, it was a very good game. Very good game. I, I really enjoyed it, but it, it, was a, it was a long one as well. Um, so we were, I think we were both ready to... Um, to, to kind of end it when we did but it was a good game it was a really good game it sounds it like I I want to get the opportunity really to play some more cities of death so I'm certainly going to be looking to build up uh, a nice full table of terrain and uh, get some cities of death games in yeah I have a full table of uh, of because I, I basically went for that and I've, I've built my own table and, and got a proper urban mat and then filled it out with loads of um, stuff so if anybody's looking for Decent looking terrain that's not going to be expensive because the G, like you know, let's be honest, the GW stuff is is expensive. Um, then uh, TT Combat does some really great ruins and some really interesting uh, MDF models, which are really easy to put together and really easy to paint up. Um, so I would highly recommend those guys. Cool. Um, so I think we will move on then from there to our last segment of the show, which is actually uh, the news and new releases segment. Do you enjoy awesome narrative 40k games as much as we do? Do you wish there was more narrative play content online you could enjoy? Narrative Wargamer aims to be more than just a podcast. Our goal is to become a wider platform for narrative 40k content creation. Right now we are just starting out, but you can already find 40k articles and gaming posts on our website at narrativewargamer.wordpress.com. We also aim to develop the Narrative Wargamer YouTube channel with narrative battle reports, custom missions, expanded gameplay rules, and much more. If you would like to see awesome content like this, then please support the show via the Narrative Wargamer Patreon page. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and expand our range of future content. You can support the show from as little as $2 a month, and it really is the best way to show us you are enjoying our work and are excited to see more. With your support, Narrative Wargamer can become the number one provider of narrative player content from the Grim Dark. Right, we're back, and this is the pretty much final uh, section of this show anyway. It's the news and new releases. So, there's basically one big upcoming new release on the horizon, 40k. When I say big release, I mean big release. <laughs> like, it's the 2019 version of Apocalypse. And to yes. be honest, I'm really, really excited for it. It looks awesome yeah i'm i'm intrigued um i'm very intrigued it's um because um we went down to warhammer world um about a month ago now a month and a half and uh, a few of us basically went and uh and had like a day at warhammer world and booked the largest table and we all brought 2000 points each and just had a massive apoc game and it was awesome absolutely awesome so there was it was basically the entire second company of the ultramarines and mm. uh their guard friends uh versus uh death guards world eaters with all of the crazy toys like the uh kaitan and and the uh, scorpion and all kinds of crazy stuff um and then the eldar which was mark's stuff and my harlequins uh and it was it was a lot of fun and again it was fantastic 
but it took most of the day. And what I'm really excited about with the Apocalypse stuff is he's actually using my entire army, which you know, most of the time, guys, let's be honest, that never really happens. Um, yeah. Using your entire army um, in well, a game, but the game only lasting about three hours. I was only saying earlier in the show how quite often I have to compromise in my org lists between where I want you know, my full mm. air wing, or if I want my Morkonaut, or if I want my Meganops, you know, because I can't squeeze everything in. You but, can't have the points if it's a 2,000 point game, yeah. No, but an Apocalypse game, I could easily feel the full air wing, the full uh, tank company of looted Lehman Russes, you know, all of it. And it's just in sort of like this week, really, that um, the first real close look at how the game's going to work has been starting to trickle. Uh, out to us from like the community page and stuff and it looks really really interesting like it does yeah it's worth saying like like from the start that this time this iteration of apocalypse it's not just how to play large scale games of standard 40k this is actually what really looks like the third way to play 40k now so I think they've been really clever with this, how standard 40k has like three ways to play, right? Match play, narrative play, and open play. But on an even um, like larger scale than that, the hobby of 40k looks like it's now going to have three ways to play, which is kill team, 40k, and apocalypse. Mm, yeah, and absolutely. And they're all played with the same scale miniatures, the same unit, like the same units, the same models, all the rest of it. And Kill Team is your small scale skirmish game where everything activates and um, behaves as individual models. 40k is what we know as a traditional game and everything activates on a squad level um, and behaves on um, like formations making up your army so your detachments your battalions your brigades whatever what they've said now is that in apocalypse how it's going to work instead is that you're activating everything on a detachment level so rather than activating a squad yeah. you activate an entire detachment so you'd activate your entire spearhead your entire battalion and they move and fight as like one large unit on the board so it's got its own complete new game system using like D12s and damage markers and new uh, complete different phase structure to how the game's going to be played out. But it's so that you can play these large grand scale games in the sort of time span of a typical 40k game. And it looks really, really cleverly done. And I'm excited to try it out. Yeah, I mean, obviously the proof will always be in the pudding and... Uh, and uh... I think we'll we'll just have to see how it kind of plays out and um but it, it, you know the GW have become very good at doing play testing and and doing a lot of things before they release uh <coughs> new projects and, and and new things first so um if they put the same amount of time they put into that for mm. like kill team and and uh, obviously 8th edition I think it's going to be yeah re really quite successful and um yeah it will be really nice one day to just be having you know 4000 5000 points on or even 6000 points you know on on the table well, and just yeah all going for it i mean that's how we perceive it right now uh, but i don't think the game's going to actually be structured around the traditional point system that we know 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't think... I can't imagine it's going to be like, right, let's play a 4,000-point game of 40k. But when we actually roll up to the table, we're going to play with Apocalypse rules. Do you know what I mean? Like, I assume Apocalypse will have its own scale of gameplay. You might say we're going to play a for lack of a better term, I guess, power level. Like, you might say we're going to play a 100 power level game of Apocalypse. But a 100 power level of Apocalypse might be roughly the equivalent of 4,000 points of standard 40k. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. They've they've only just kind of released it today mm. um, and just done a couple of promo videos. So they'll be releasing more and more stuff, I think, kind of rules-wise um, over the over the coming weeks. So, yeah, we'll, well, we'll just have to see what it's like. I mean, have you seen some of like the new profiles they've released for how units and weapons are going to work? No, I haven't seen that, I'm afraid, no. They're really cool. Um, and it's quite clever how they're doing it. So, for example, the profile for a intercessor squad, and that's what they're doing what we sort of expect they were going to do, where you've got a profile for things on a squad level. So rather than having a profile for a single intercessor, you've got a profile for five intercessors. They make a squad. And the squad has a movement stat of like six inches, uh, a weapon skill and ballistic skill that are both three plus as they are in your standard 40k. Uh, but as a squad, they've only got one attack and two wounds, and a leadership of six, and interestingly, a saving throw of six plus. However, what they've sort of half explained is how saving throws are going to work um, in that depending on the weapon that is targeting you determines the type of dice you roll your save against. Right. So, for example, if your intercessors are getting shot by bolt weapons, like bolt guns... Um, you would roll your save on, I believe it'll be a d12. So they've got a 6 plus save on a d12. Whereas if your intercessor squad is being hit by a Bane Blade battle cannon, you would make your 6 plus save on a d6. Okay. Because that weapon is a more powerful weapon and their armor is not going to hold up as well against that as it is against small arms fire. Um, what is interesting though is how they're doing the um, wounding roll system um, so you hit based on your weapons, uh, weapon or ballistic skill as per standard 40k but when it comes to wounding weapons now have two separate wound profiles which is for um, firing at personnel targets or firing at tank targets so basically infantry and vehicles. And it's a bit like Age of Sigma now in Apocalypse, where a weapon has a wound roll requirement regardless of what it's firing at. Okay. So, for example, they're given us the profile of a bolt rifle to go with those intercessors. And in Apocalypse, they've got the weapons type small arms range of 30 inches, um, attacks as per user, which I assume that means you would make one 
roll for every five for incessors. The entire, yeah, for the entire unit. Because yeah. the five incessors have one attack. So I assume if you had a squad of ten, you would make two attacks with the bolt rifle profile. Um, but then they've got strength against personnel, known as SAP, um, is five plus. And strength against target, uh, strength against tanks, so SATs, um, is an eight plus, and they have the ability rapid fire. So, I would assume that this means that the wound roll is going to be rolled on a d12. So, a 5 plus wound roll against other infantry on a d12 is a just slightly better than 50% wound rate. But your bolters are still capable of harming tanks and such, like they are in standard 40k, but at a yeah. reduced rate. But what's interesting is it doesn't matter if you're firing your bolters at an orc truck or if you're firing it at a bane blade you know you're gonna wound tanks generically on a set value interesting and that's gonna be one of the ways they speed up the gameplay because you're not gonna have to compare toughnesses you're not gonna have variable wound rolls you just know that if you fire your intercessors oh are you are you a tank then i wound you on eight plus are you not a tank then i wound you on five plus simple as so i can see where they're streamlining gameplay. Ten intercessors with bolt rifles suddenly go from um, 20 shots to two hit rolls with a set wound roll, regardless of what they're firing at. Yeah, sure, yeah. So you can see how that is significantly reducing um, time required to fire a unit of marines, which is why rather than having 10 marines making 10 hit rolls, you could have 100 marines making 10 hit rolls. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I so, think it'll be interesting. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, we'll just have to see how it is and uh, and how it comes out. And uh, so I I'm think interested. It's, I'm definitely interested. Yeah, I think it's really clever how they're doing stuff. And um, and it's worth noting that the like turn sequence in the game is going to use four steps, which is initiative phase, orders phase, action phase and damage phase and our understanding of it is that um, there isn't player turns because everything is alternate activations yeah interesting so like you'll determine which player has initiative first then um, you'll alternate issuing orders to your entire detachments then you'll alternate between activating your entire detachments and in that activation, the detachment will do its moving, its shooting, and its fighting in its entirety. Then you'll pass over to your opponent to do the same with a detachment. And then finally, the damage phase is when you actually then resolve the damage from all the attacks from the action phase, which includes taking the saves. So I think what they've said is that as part of the action phase, you'll conduct your attacks, you'll make your hit rolls, your wound rolls, and that then allocates a number of these um, like damage markers to the target. And then when it gets to the damage phase, that's when units then roll their saves against all the damage markers they've accumulated in the turn. Okay. So then at that point, you'll know how much um, you've suffered and how dead or alive you are which I think is quite interesting when it comes to actually 
enacting your actions because you don't know what damage your first attachment has done to a target. Even though you can see how many rolls and saves they're going to have to make, you don't know how successful they've been at those saving throws. So when you activate your second attachment, you have to decide whether or not you feel you've put enough damage on that thing, or if actually you've overkilled it, or you're nowhere near it yet. So I think it's really interesting how you don't know what the consequences of any of your actions are going to be until the end of the turn. Yeah, no, yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, to see how it all gone, kind of comes out. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's definitely a, it's a complete new way to play 40k, and it's going to really allow those large scale games to play out. Hopefully, in a more timely manner, but also still feeling satisfactory, still feeling like you've played an epic large clash and not just, well, we did play a big game, but it didn't feel like it was suitably epic enough. Like Apocalypse feels mm. like it's going to have that sense of grandeur and scale to it in the gameplay as well as the models on the table. Yeah, yeah. Well, like we said, though, we just have to see how it kind of pans out and uh, and see if that's the case. I mean, hopefully it is. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, so we will... I think we'll have to keep an eye on what information comes out over the uh, the coming weeks, and uh, I'll definitely be trying to dip my toe into some apocalypse of the first opportunity I get. Sagdreg mm. will be bringing out a very, very large Ironwar full <laughs> of all the good toys and fancy wagons and guns. Yeah, I'm not actually. I don't know if they've set a date yet actually for when it's coming out or if it's all kind of preview stuff at this point. Um, but they are releasing kind of box, well, kind of box sets for apocalypse stuff. Um, which is quite cool. So th- I think they're going to be about. We reckon it's going to be about a hundred pounds. I think for for what they do, but it'll mm. be like a vanguard detachment for like the Eldar. So you get quite a considerable amount of wraiths and um, kind of you know wraith lords and things like that. Uh, the the classic one, of course, is the guard. I think you get like three Lehman Russes, a Chimera, <laughs> yeah. some heavy support and stuff in it. So that's quite cool. I actually really like um, the Necron one. With like uh, six wraiths and six tomb blades and a ghost arc. It's actually a really like fast moving Necron force. Mm, yeah. But it's worth noting that all these detachments, um, both as they're sold off the shelf as box sets and how they play and activate an apocalypse, are the traditional detachments that we're familiar with. So it is literally battalions, brigades, outriders, vanguards, etc. So there's still that. Con- core concept of army structure from standard 40k being brought over into Apocalypse which is why it feels apocalyptic because your detachments that make your entire army in a standard game are actually going to be your units in Apocalypse mm. so yeah I'm looking forward to it Like it's it's ridiculous to think that you could buy um, an entire like Tau hunting cadre or entire um, orc walker formation and actually when you play your game of apocalypse that's just one of your units that you're just going to move I'm just going to move these nine killer cans and yeah, I'm just going to yeah. drop in these um, eight crisis suits and their commander like there's it, it's it's going to be a completely new way to play 40k and I, I'm, I'm just genuinely so looking forward to it it's going to be great so yeah until we explode of excitement at a later date. 
<laughs> I think that is uh, everything for tonight, really. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so just on the way out the door, we'll just let you know where you can find us and all the sort of things that we're doing here at Narrative Wargamer. So uh, if you are enjoying the show and you want to follow along with things like the Paint Station Garrison and the other things that we'll be um, talking about, then you can find us on social media um, over on Twitter at Narrative40k, um, on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. Um, and we do also have a dedicated Facebook group where you can actually um, go check out the sorts of things that uh, we're up to. We'll be posting like hobby projects and just generally, you know, all the listeners to the show can hang out together and just talk shop, as it were, you know, show everyone the stuff you're up to, tell us about the games you've been playing. Like, we're really looking forward to building a community um, and to really provide an outlet for people to show off the sort of things they're doing, especially when it comes to narrative and, you know, just epic confrontations in 40k. So uh, that's over on Facebook at uh, forward slash Narrative Wargamer. Um, so we'll look forward to seeing people on there. Um, yeah. And believe it or not, Adam, we do actually have a website as well. We have a website as well. We do. Um, so that is narrativewargamer.wordpress.com. Um, and I'm actually hoping to be slowly posting a couple of just general 40k and hobby articles over there as well. Um, I've already got um, one article up about deadly battlefields in your games of 40k. Um, and you can also find the podcast is over there as well. Um, but this show is now on iTunes, Spotify... All forms of media. Yeah, I, 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 uh, Stitcher, that's the other one, I think. But basically, more or less all podcasting platforms, it's available. So wherever you're listening to this show, um, please, uh, if you enjoy it, give us you know five-star reviews or your equivalent because that's the way that other people find the show. It'll be suggested to people. Hopefully we'll find more listeners and we can grow the community. Definitely do that. It's the best thing you can do to help us out. Anything else from you, Adam? No, I think, uh, I think we've covered all bases. Perfect. Well... Until next time, guys. See you later. See you later.